Welcome to the Calvary Assembly Podcast, with weekly messages from the Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. in the book of Ephesians. We've been doing a series called In Christ, and we're just walking through the book of Ephesians just passage by passage and just digging into it, seeing it, what, what it says. And, and the questions we always ask when we're interpreting Scripture is what was it saying to the, the audience then? Because, you know, the book of Ephesians was written to a specific group of people in the city of Ephesus, which was a very metropolitan city like a lot of our cities today. Lots of people from different cultures, lots of people from different backgrounds, different ages. And then we say, okay, and then what is God saying to us today through these verses? Now today, we're going to get really, 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 really specific and practical because Paul got really, really specific and practical with groups of people. How many of you are someone's child? Okay, that's everybody. You didn't, you didn't hatch, um, so you didn't get dropped by a stork. I know in the stories, right? How many of you are a parent to someone? Okay. How many of you want to be a parent someday that aren't? Okay. After today, you may not want to be. <laughs> uh, but, you know, parenting is a challenge. How many of you work for someone? How many of you have employees under you? Okay. Paul talks to these two groups today. He's, gonna, he's been getting very specific in chapter 5. He talked about how we carry the light of Jesus into the world. If you haven't heard those, you can go on our website or our app, and you can listen to those messages. But Paul's been talking about how to carry the light of Christ everywhere that we go. And then in the previous passage, he talks to husbands and wives specifically and those in relationships on how to live out a marriage as a Christian. Today, he's going to talk about how to be a parent and a child as a Christian. And then he talks to employers and employees. He was actually talking to slaves and masters, but somebody said, yep, that's that's my workplace, right? Don't point any fingers. Your boss may be in the room. But... Uh, so that really translates well into employers and employees. So we're going to talk about all these different things today. Now, how many of you know parenting has changed over the years? <laughs> it looks different than it has in the past. I'm going to show a little video here that kind of shows you what parenting used to be like. Okay, so we'll show this here. I love it when they get so angry they can't remember your name. You come here, uh, Roy, uh, Rupert, uh, Rutabaker. What is your name, boy? And don't lie to me, because you live here, and I'll find out who you are. Take a stick and knock your brains out. I always wanted to get some calves' brains. Keep them in my hand. My mother hit me in the head, I'd throw them on the floor. But knowing my mother, it wouldn't work. She said, put your brains back in your head. If you let your brains fall out of your head, have you lost your mind? And that's another thing. They ask you a question, you try and answer, they tell you to shut up. Day and night, night and day, work my fingers to the bone for what? I don't. Shut up. And when I ask you a question, you keep your trap shut. Think I'm talking to hear myself talk? Answer me. But you see, fathers are altogether different. I'm not saying they're better. I'm saying they're different. See, my father established our relationship when I was seven years old. He looked at me and said, you know, I brought you in this world. I'll take you out. (laughs) And it don't make no difference to me because I'll make another one look just like you. (laughs) 
How many of you heard your parents' voice when you heard that? Or maybe grandparent? Yeah. Yeah, I was terrified of my, my grandma. I loved her to death. She's only about this big, but she terrified me. I remember one day I cut my finger, like pretty good cut, and she said, don't you walk through my house like that, bleeding like that, you know, go to the outhouse. And so we bandaged it up outside. You're not dripping blood across my floor. So it's different. And so today Paul's going to talk to parents about how we, we parent. And parenting styles change over the years, but our responsibilities are still the same, right? So Ephesians chapter 6, if you have your Bibles or if you have the Version Bible app, you can go there. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. Paul says this, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. And all the parents said, amen. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you'll have a long life on the earth. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Then in verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will reward each of you for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. So Paul here gives us some instruction as parents, as children, as employers and employees. So we're going to kind of break this down a little bit. So Lord, we pray today you would apply your word to our hearts. Help us to live this out every day, whether we're parents, want to be parents someday, whether we're children, uh, whether we're adult children, workers, employees, or employers, in Jesus' name, amen. So this all comes down to living out the life of Christ everywhere that we go. So the first thing Paul says here is advice for children. He says, honor and obey your parents. Now, how many of you know that honoring is different than obeying? I can obey and not honor at all. I can obey grudgingly, right? Some of you that have teenagers, you see this. You get the eye roll. (sighs) I'll obey, but I'm not going to honor, right? They get, I don't know where that gets learned. Somewhere about 12 years old, I think. And so, and we all did it. So we honor our parents, we obey, and here's what Paul says, because we are what? Christians. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. We obey because we're Christians, we're Christ followers. Paul says, obey them because you belong to the Lord. And as Christians, we're not obligated, or we don't, (laughs) we're not relieved of our obligation to honor our parents, even if they're not Christian parents. Even if our parents are not Christ followers, we still have to honor them. And this can be tough sometimes, right? But we still have to honor them. We still have to obey them because we're Christ followers. And guys, listen, if your parents are not believers, honoring them is one of the best witnesses you can do. One of the best ways to be a witness to them, to show them who Jesus is, is to honor them, to love them and respect them and say, I'm doing this because I love Jesus. And because I love Jesus, I love you and I'm going to honor you. He also says to obey because it's the right thing to do. He literally said, it's the right thing to do. And, and God put an order in nature where parents guide children into adulthood. And so as we grow up, we have to learn that our parents really do usually know what they're talking about. Usually, right? You know, kids are like, oh, you know things. And then they, you know, when we turn into teenagers, we start thinking we're smarter than our parents. And then as we hit about our 20s, we realize, wow, they, they really knew what they were talking about. It's, it's crazy how much my parents learned once I got into college. 
I realized they, they really didn't know what they were talking about. So we have to obey them because it's the right thing to do. And we obey because it's commanded. Paul says this is the first command that comes with the promise. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, the Lord told them in the Ten Commandments, this is when God was setting up the nation of Israel, setting up their relationship with him. He says, honor your father and mother, then you'll live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And it's not because, you know, like Bill Cosby said, I'll take you out. It's not that kind of live long in the land. It's living long because when we do what God tells us to do, life is what? Better. It's better. It's not always easier, but it's better because you're obeying them. You're honoring them. It's more than just obeying. It means to show love and respect, to care, to bring honor to them by the way that we live. And then we obey because we're blessed when we do so. I love this. I found a quote in one of the commentaries I was looking at. It says, when children obey their parents in the Lord, they'll escape a good deal of sin and danger and thus avoid the things that could threaten or shorten their lives. Life is not measured only by quantity of time. It's also measured by quality of experience. God enriches the life of the obedient child no matter how long they live on the earth. Sin always robs us, but obedience always enriches us. I like that. Because how many know when we do the right thing, when we live life God's way, life is better. We avoid some of those things. And, you know, I know some of you think, you know, I'm, you know we always talk about sharing our story with others. And you think, well, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I really don't have a testimony. Yeah, you do. Because growing up in a Christian home, God protected you from a lot of things. You know, I remember a lot of stuff my friends were dealing with I didn't have to deal with because I obeyed my parents for the most part. I was really good at not getting caught. I was one of those kids, right? But when you do obey your parents and you grow up in a home that's, that's centered on Christ, you protect your kids from a lot of things. And so Christian parents, I know sometimes your kids are like, oh, you're not letting me do anything. Or the, and my kids don't say that, but other people's do. You know, they say those things like, I don't get to do some of these things. What do we say? Because I love you. I don't want you running down the middle of the interstate because I care about you. You know, physics say two objects can't occupy the same space at the same time. You know, that car's going to win. Those kind of things. And so we want them to understand that. But listen to what Paul says. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this. He's talking to his young protege, Timothy, and he says, You should know, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and they'll hate what's good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They'll act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And we see this all around us, guys. And so as parents, it's our job to guide our kids. As, as children, even as adult children, it's our job to obey our parents and, and honor them. Because parents who love Jesus are trying to create a good world for their kids. And they're trying to, to protect them. And so they, we're supposed to honor them. And guys, we, we're seeing this all over the place right now. I just heard on the news the other day, there's, they're not prosecuting rowdy teenagers in some of these towns. And so they've got roams of teenagers and young adults roaming the streets and causing all kinds of chaos. You know, they're having like summer break down on these beaches and these kids are just destroying stuff. And it's because they don't have boundaries, right? They're not honoring their parents. And so he says, kids, Paul says, obey and honor your parents. Parents, what does he say? Love and train your children. Our job as parents 
is to love and to train our kids to get them into adulthood alive, number one, in one piece, but also as responsible adults. It's our job to, to guide our children not to be their best friend, but to guide them. And guys, some of you may be saying, well, this doesn't apply to me. I don't have kids. You never know what kids are watching you and what kids God is going to send into your path that you can mentor. And even if your kids are growing and out of the house, there are still other kids God's going to bring into your path that you can mentor and train and show the way of life for. So we understand that left to themselves, children are what? Rebels. We all have that streak inside. Don't you tell me what to do. And, you know, I, I thought in Missouri where I grew up it was like that. But, man, it is really strong out here in Nebraska. Because we have that Western mentality, don't we? Don't tell me what to do. I'm a cowboy. I know. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. Listen to what I love. Proverbs 22, 15. Some of you need to highlight this. Solomon said, A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. My parents believed in this strongly. <laughs> and some of us do as well, right? Sometimes only a spanking is going to help. You know, that's what they would tell me. Um, and it did. Evidently, I'm still here. But I love the Duke of Windsor said, everything in American home is controlled by switches except the children. <laughs> a switch, you know. My grandma would say, go find your own switch. That was the worst. Go bring me a switch. <laughs> and you get like a dead one, you know, that would break. And then she'd like, let me go find one for you. And she'd get the curved ones, you know, that would wrap around. It's amazing. So... There are some biblical examples of what happened when we don't train our kids. If you remember the story in the Old Testament, David pampered his son Absalom. You remember what happened? Absalom divided the kingdom, took it away from his father because he wouldn't discipline him. Eli the priest didn't discipline his sons and ended up disgracing God and brought defeat to the nation of Israel. Isaac pampered Esau. His wife pampered Jacob. Their home was divided and God eventually delivered Jacob. And he had to train him in another nation. He had to send him to Egypt to be trained. So it's our job, parents, to love and guide our children to know Jesus. So we're supposed to, number one, not provoke our kids to anger. Don't provoke our children to anger. And Paul says fathers, and he's talking to fathers, but he is also talking to mothers. And so, now, remember, he was writing this to a specific audience at a specific time, right? The church in Ephesus was a, kind of a new church. It was growing. At this time, Ephesus was controlled by the Romans, now, if you were a Roman family and you had a baby, uh, your wife had a baby, they would bring the baby and lay it before the father. Now, this was the father's choice. If he picked the baby up, it meant the baby was adopted into their home and taken into the family. But the father could just turn away. You know what happened to those babies? They were either sold or they were given away, sold into slavery, or they just leave them outside to die of exposure if they didn't want another kid. And so he was talking to parents here, and he's saying, it's your job to train these kids to take them in, not what the culture is telling you to do. And guys, as Christian parents, the culture is telling us, let your kid be whatever they want. They're telling us now your kid can choose what gender they want to be. That's six years old. That's crazy. And so it's our job as parents to train and love our kids. But he says, don't provoke your children to anger. What does that mean? Well, in Colossians 3.21, he says, again, don't aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. So the opposite of provoking our children to anger is encouraging them and instructing. Now, I'm not saying the whole everybody gets a trophy thing, you know, in life, not everybody wins. But he's saying we need to encourage our kids to build them up. So how do we provoke our children to anger? Well, we see all over Scripture saying one thing and doing another. That provokes our children to anger. 
our kids see the way that we live. And if we live one way at home and a different way in public, they see that. And it frustrates them. If they see us act one way at church and another way at home, it frustrates And I'm not saying you have to be perfect all the time. No one is. But if we're not consistent in our walk, our kids see that. If we blame them all the time instead of praising them, they, they get discouraged. If we show favoritism in the home, if we're inconsistent or unfair in discipline, you know, if, you're, if you get really harsh sometimes and other times you're not, that frustrates them because they don't know how to act. I would have kids come to me as a youth pastor, I never know how to act in my home because one day it's fine, the other it's not. It's frustrating. When we discipline in anger, it's not consistent. I know when I worked, I was a prison guard for years, for about a year and a half, and they told us fair, firm, consistent. They said that was the word you live by in the prison. You have to be fair to everybody. Fair, firm, and consistent. That's what they want to see. It's the same in the home. I'm not saying your home's a prison. It shouldn't be. It should not be. But we need to be fair and firm and consistent with our kids. They need to have the same. Now, do we parent each kid the same? No, because kids are different. They're individuals. The way you treat your son is going to be different than the way you treat your daughter. That's just the way it goes. But you have to be firm and consistent in what you do. Making promises and not keeping them. That frustrates kids. Making light of problems that are important to our kids. So we have to be sure that we're consistent and not provoking our kids to anger. We're supposed to bring them up in the faith. Now, it's our job to bring our kids up in the faith. Is it our responsibility for them to accept Christ? No, it's theirs. It's their choice. You can do everything right, and your kid still may not follow Jesus, but you do your best to point them in that direction, right? I know I didn't, I didn't become a Christian until I was 16. My grandparents prayed for me all the time, all the time. And if it wasn't for that, I'm not sure where I would be, right? But you have to show them the direction, show them what to do, train them up. And that word bring them up is the same used in Ephesians 5.29 when Paul says we care for our bodies as Christ cares for the church. It's that same word. So we're supposed to care for our children into the faith. Supposed to love them and nurture them into the faith. And whose job is it to teach our kids? It's ours. The church comes alongside to help, right? We're here to help, to encourage, to do everything we can. Pastor Kenny and Adrian in the youth group, Pastor Amber and the kids, our Sunday school teachers, all those. We, we point their kids in that direction. We come alongside families and help and VBS and all those things. We do those things, but it's ultimately it's our job as parents to teach our kids to follow Christ, to show them what it means to be authentic Christians. So we bring them up in the faith, and we discipline, instruct, and encourage Discipline, instruct, encourage. The idea of discipline is really, guys, it's tied to nourishing. Kids and teenagers need boundaries. And you've seen it. You know, if you go down the street here, we have a, a school right down the street, Bryan Elementary, and they have a fence around one part of their playground. It's kind of funny, yeah, but the other end's totally open. And so where do kids play? Close to the fence. It's weird. I'll drive down the road. I don't see any kids out by the street. They're always kind of in the fenced-in area. Why? Because they like having boundaries. And then the stray dogs don't get in the park with the fences either. I think that's part of it. But kids need boundaries. And they've done studies. They had kids play on a playground that was completely open. You know where they kind of stay? In the middle. But if a playground has fences all the way around, they go all over because they know where the boundaries are. They know where they're allowed to go. And it's the same in the home, guys. Kids need boundaries. I was reading a book about this. And this one young lady was, was counseling with a guy and she was saying, I wish I had boundaries. 
she said, I wish I knew what my bounds were. And she said, it, it, I'm not important enough for my parents to even set rules. That was her words. I'm not important enough for my parents to even set rules. So she said, why should I care about my life? They don't. It broke my heart. They need to know that we care enough to set boundaries. And they're going to, you know, when we set boundaries and all those things. We all did it too, right? We go right up to the minute of curfew. But they need to know that we care enough to say, I want you home at this time. I put a tracking device on your phone so I know where you're at because I love you. Not creepy. Loving. <laughs> I, hit, I had air tags in your backpacks and things so I know where you're at because I love you. You know, all those things, right? We didn't have that stuff when my kids were little. That would have been amazing. Just duct tape it to their forehead and know where they're at all the time. But <laughs> listen to what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 12, 5. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, right? And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Proverbs 13, 24. Again, Solomon, the wisest man to be on earth, said this. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. That's not me saying that. Solomon says that. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Wow. In the NASB, like the really literal translation, it says, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So guys, it's up to our job to consistently love and encourage and discipline our kids. And I know that the pattern now is all encouragement, and that's good. Man, kids need to be encouraged. I try to encourage my kids all the time, all the time. So my son, I'll, I'll tell a story on him. <clears throat> Every night when we put our kids in bed, you know, we love you, we pray with them and say, I'm glad you're my kids, you know, all those things. But then when we play video games, I'd always tease my son and say, now, you can't cry when you lose when I beat you. That's always our thing. You can't cry when you lose. You know the rule. He beats me all the time now, and I cry, but... But when he was playing, he would say, and so at school one day, they, he was in like, I think, third or fourth grade, and he said, what is something your parents say to you all the time? He said, my dad always says, don't cry when you lose. I was like, <laughs> all the things I say to you all the time, that's the one you tell you. So the teacher was like, you know, they're looking at me when I come in. But they have to know that we care enough to discipline them consistently because discipline gives boundaries, right? We love them, so we discipline them. So then he moves on to employers and employees. And he says that we're supposed to be, as employees, we should serve well. We treat one another as Christ would. So employees should serve well because they're really serving Christ. He says, work as if you're serving the Lord. And this works whether you have a boss who's a Christ follower or one who's not. It says you should be a great employee because you serve Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Actually, we have it on the wall over here. It says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. Now, here's the big thing, guys. Please understand, there is really no difference between the sacred and the secular in our lives. What does that mean? Everything we do, we do for Christ. Everything I do is worship. Everything I do is because I'm serving Jesus. So when I'm out working a menial job, it's because I'm serving Jesus. If I'm out shoveling the sidewalk in the wintertime or Kenny's out shoveling the sidewalk in the wintertime, what are we doing? We're doing it because we love Jesus and we don't want lawsuits, right? (laughs) 
when you're out picking up trash in the parking lot, doing it because, I, and I actually do this some days. I'm like, ah, because we have trash that blows in and circles around, and I'll be picking up trash. I'll literally say, Jesus, I'm doing this for you, picking up this nasty, drippy stuff, you know. So when you're at work, I know some of you guys, some of your jobs are, are hard. Some of them are difficult. We do it, why? Because we're serving Jesus. We're doing it for him, right? We do it all for God's glory. So whether we're serving in church or serving at work or raising our kids, changing diapers, we're doing it because we love Jesus. And employees should serve well because they will be rewarded. He said that he will reward us when we serve well. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, you can read that later, Paul's talking to, to slaves who were serving non-Christian owners. These were slaves. They were not employees. They were slaves. And he tells them to serve well because they're Christ followers, and they'll be rewarded for that. So when we're at work, guys, one of the very best things we can do to show our employees we're a Christian is what? To be a good employee, to be a faithful employee, to serve well. I know um, Amy's old boss, before Riley came in, uh, she hired church people, and they were looking for another employee. She said, do you got any more people at your church? They're pretty good employees, right? And she said, hire as many as you want because they're good. They're serving, right? And so we do it because we serve Jesus, right? That's why we're a good employee. And guys, here's a funny thing. When you serve well, God gives you favor in your workplace. He really does. There's people I know when I worked at the prison, we all went through the same camp and all these things. And, and I worked really hard. Number one, I wanted to stay alive. I always, always tell my coworkers, if I ever get beaten within an inch of my life, drag me out because I'm not dying in this prison. Drag me outside the gate so I can die out there. I'm like, okay. But we served, and, and God gave me favor. I got put in the best unit, and I didn't have to work the overnight shift. And it was only Jesus. The other guy's like, why did you get such a nice unit? Like, Jesus, <laughs> that's all I can tell you. He gives us favor. And employees should treat their employees, employers should treat their employees well because of Christ. I love the book of Ruth. If you've never read it, you should really read the book of Ruth. It's like four chapters long. And it's this great story of God's faithfulness and redemption and all these things. But in the book of Ruth, there's a man named Boaz, who is a kinsman redeemer. And he's, this, he's put in, in Scripture as this really great guy. But he's a landowner, and he has a lot of employees working for him. And when I love it. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 4, uh, Ruth was hanging out in his field. Boaz showed up from Bethlehem, and he's got all these guys working in the field. And listen to how he greets his employees. He says, he greets the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said, and the Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. So he shows up at work and says, hey, the Lord bless you to his employees. That's a pretty good boss. He could have just said, work harder. But he didn't. He said, the Lord bless you. And he took care of his harvesters. He made sure they had enough food to eat. And then they, he took in this young lady, Ruth, and it ends up being this love story, but he brings her in. And so he's a great example of being a great boss. As bosses, we need to treat our employers, employees well because they know we're a Christian. And guys, when you're at work and you're supervising people, the way you treat them shows who you really are. And it shows your relationship with Christ, right? And it's not always easy. We've all been bosses. We've all had people working under them. We've all had those lazy employees you have to chase around. I remember I was a supervisor in college and I spent more time chasing employees down, making them work than actually working. Like I think I could have done the job myself a lot quicker, but I was always chasing these guys around. But then I had other ones who were great workers, and they were a blessing. So make sure you treat them well. I love this, because we all have the same master in heaven, is what Paul says. And Paul, again, is talking to his protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 
And he says, I command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels, obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. He said, in the church, you need to treat everybody equally and well. That's the same as employers. What happens when we start having favorites in the workplace? Divides come in, don't they? Rifts come in. And so you need to make sure we're treating them all well. And then he says, employers should be servant leaders. We need to be servant leaders. He says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. And in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus said this, Jesus, the Lord of the universe who came to earth, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be the leader among you must be your servant, right? And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So why are we talking about this in church? Why are you talking about being an employer or being an employee? Because we live out this Christian life in our everyday lives. And the way that we live our lives out there show people who we really are in here. And so whether we're working a nine-to-five job, whether we're serving in church, whether we're supervising two employees or 20 employees or 100 employees, the way that we live our lives shows who we are. And if we go out and serve others, they're going to look to serve you back. They're going to respect you more. You know, they always say, don't ask someone to do something you wouldn't do yourself, right? And so make sure that you're showing them who you are because of Christ. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up this morning. We see all kinds of times in Scripture where great rulers were first great servants. We see this in Moses, right? Moses' life. We see this in Joshua, in Nehemiah. All these different ones, they were servants. They were great employees, and then God elevated them to positions of authority. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning if you're physically able. We're going to pray.